This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front here on the Chicago Podcast Network. Uh, I'm alone today. AJ is out fighting the good fight with a bunch of campaigns, but I decided to take a second today and speak to a man named Paul Trainer. Now, we're going to get into why I'm talking to him as the show goes on, but first, uh, you've heard me mention a few times on the show that I've been working with an organization called the Nutria Dems. Uh, as a result of working with them, I've kind of uh, met a few other people, and part of the story we haven't really talked about it a lot on the podcast, it has to do with big money in politics coming into small local elections. And Paul Trainer, who I'll be speaking with today, uh, made a documentary called Nutrier, Tip of the Spear. Uh, it was to be premiered last week at the Willamette Theater, and as a result of a cease and desist order, was not able to show it at that time. Uh, he has filed the legal requirements to go back. It will be premiering this Sunday. Um, what time exactly, Paul? It's uh, two shows, Nick, seven and nine. Seven and nine. And it's going to be a, it's a, a documentary that deals with an issue that's happening right now in Nutrier Township. For those of you who don't understand how this works, every town uh, that you live in, uh, it, let's go North Shore, Glenview, Northbrook, Niles, they're their own town. But within those is you have tax townships. Those are your essentially your school districts, other assorted civil services that run through it. And here in Nutrier which as a Glumberg South grad is one of those things that I have to fight against. But uh, there's a lot of money coming into the town that is trying to influence where the election will be going. And they are attempting to put a conservative agenda into a elective office that previously has not been a very political organization. It's been, I've been describing it to people, Paul, as, Essentially, Little League. Like up until uh-huh. this election, people <laughs> yeah. volunteered to work for the town because yeah. they wanted, you know, to help out around the area. But this is now becoming real politics. We had a gentleman in for one of the Nutrier Dems meetings, and he was saying that these guys feel kind of manipulated into a scenario where they now have to run, you know, raise money and actually have a political fight that they were not expecting to have. But yeah. I want to start with, with you and this and this documentary. Now, first of all, you, the name again of the documentary, Nutrier, Tip of the Spear. You also have a podcast called Race Bait. How long have you been doing documentary filmmaking? So I uh, um, appreciate being on. It's great to be with you, Nick. Um, yeah. I have uh, This is my first feature documentary. So I, I made a horror movie that I wrote and directed about 10 years ago called Witches' Night. Uh, which was basically like Deliverance with Witches was our elevator pitch. And uh, you guys can find that on Amazon. It's a cult classic uh, that uh, at least I and a few of my siblings have uh, seen and enjoyed. But um, since then, I started doing uh, marketing videos, and I do a lot of that. So I've done short-form documentaries uh, for not-for-profits. I did one on homeless in Evanston, et cetera. But this is uh, my first uh, uh, full-length documentary. Okay. Let's talk, before we get into the specifics of the documentary and where you got the cease and desist, let's talk about what's going on right now. Um, the money that's coming in is th- there's a man who hosts a radio show here in Chicago, and if, if you're listening to my show, chances are you don't listen to conservative talk radio. So <laughs> there's a man who works in the area. His you're name, very well-rounded. Yeah. <laughs> his, his name is Dan Proft, and I want you to explain to me the danger that Dan Proft represents in this upcoming election. Sure. Well, I liked your uh, um, Little League analogy, and that's definitely what it's like. And it's like if they brought in a major leaguer as the DH, uh, it's basically Dan Proft in this scenario. So uh, Dan um, has a radio show uh, in the morning. You've seen his billboards, I'm sure, as you drive in traffic. Uh, Dan and Amy on the morning answer on WIND. And then he does a 
couple of podcasts, one in the afternoon with uh, one of his partners named Patrick Hughes. And uh, so basically, Dan is, in my opinion, uh, you know, a paid mouthpiece of uh, the uh, conservative moneyed elements in this uh, country. In the last year alone, he has a, a company called Liberty Principles Pack, not a company, a pack. And you can uh, Google that in the Illinois Sunshine Laws. He's gotten uh, over 10 million bucks. He got two and a half million from Bruce Rauner uh, in the last 12 months. Um, seven and a half million from a guy named Richard Uline from Lake Forest, who you know has the Uline uh, catalog empire and uh, off supply stuff, and then uh, Todd Ricketts. Uh, speaking of baseball, also uh, has a fifty thousand um, dollar uh, donation to him in the last twelve months, and and that th- the Ricketts family ties in a little bit here. So basically, Dan has set his sights on our Nutrier Seminar Day, which is all where all of this started. It didn't start with the election at all. It started with Nutrier Seminar Day on understanding racial civil rights, and this is a good example. You're talking about being you know Glen Brooks south and you know the, the the stink of coming into Nutria township and i get it uh we are, do have so many resources and this embarrassment of riches so what they had was this seminar day where they were going to talk about racial civil rights and you know because it's Nutrier, they had put in nine months of planning they had a hundred seminars they had colson whitehead and andrew aden coming to do keynotes both of these guys are national book award winners i mean this is the kind of thing that any school district in the country would salivate to be able to put on but there uh, was this group that was formed called parents of Org, uh, claiming to be ostensibly representative of parents, although there was a, a very small handful that ever publicly acknowledged being part of it, and they started getting, uh, you know, all kinds of airtime on Dan's show. They were there on that a lot. They started getting coverage in uh, one of Dan's fake newspapers, North Cook News. Um, if you live in any township, you know, around the state, there's probably uh, a newspaper by a group called LGIS, Local Government Information Services, and this is all stuff that I learned um, in, in the process of this. One of them is called North Cook News, which is basically uh, a paid political pamphlet masquerading as a uh, local newspaper. And they did 20 stories on Seminar Day. So that's really where it all started. And then as I uncovered it and started uh, investigating, what I became convinced of, which is the central contention and thesis of my documentary, is that Seminar Day uh, was part of a a larger issue, uh, which is uh, two-part. One is to basically invade this, uh, you know, local Little League municipal nonpartisan for a hundred plus years election to inject uh, a national alt-right ideology into our local politics and I think dissolve our township completely. Uh, And then the other part is attack on public education, which is uh, happening, you know, under Betsy DeVos all over the country. I want to focus on the last two things that you said because this is the stuff that that it gives. So you made a documentary about this. It's called The Tip of the Spear. And it's a great title because it's exactly what it is. This is... Because it's not just happening here. This is happening in townships all across the country. It's mm-hmm. just that we happen to live in the area where this is happening. We can focus on this. And let's face it, we know how to get from Green Bay Road over to, to Waukegan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you know right. the neighborhood. Yeah. But when you say that they want to dissolve the township and they want to you know, take away public education, have you been able to, in, in your research, figure out what the end game is? Because let me give an example. Alex mm-hmm. Jones on his stupid InfoWars site goes off every day about how there's the great left-wing conspiracy to destroy us. And you go, okay, but to what end? Because that's always my thing with right. conspiracy theories. To what end? Right. And if you look at Alex Jones and you draw the line all the way through, and I'm not kidding, do you know what his end game is? No. 
Oh, this will blow your mind. I love telling people this. Alex Jones truly believes. He has papers and articles on his website. Uh-huh. It's like uh, Scientology. The further you in you go, the deeper you, you drop. Uh-huh. This is what he believes. He believes that Hillary Clinton was running for president in 2016 oh, wow. to work for a globalist agenda that goes back to the Rothschilds conspiracy starting in World War One to control the world's economy. And the ultimate goal of everything right now is with the FEMA camps that are all across the country that they say exist. Yeah, right. Okay. He believes that Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency there was going to be a false flag operation that would cause us to abandon the cities, have us move into forced labor FEMA camps where we would build mega cities that the regular population would go into. For the record, mega cities, by the way, uh-huh. are the same thing that are in Judge Dredd in the, the Sylvester <laughs> Stallone movie. But he w- believes that well, they, you know, life imitates art, right? We're not done yet. So he, he believes that we're going to be moved into mega cities uh-huh. and forced labor camps. At which point, the powerful elite meaning the elite liberals who are backed by this Zionist agenda, will, I swear to God, massacre the masses so that they can create, do a satanic ritual and gain immortality. Wow. Well, that is what they believe. If you when does the far-fetched part come into it? Exactly. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you go you go far enough down the line. That's pretty deep, man. That's, that's pretty deep. That's his end game. That's what he believes it's all leading to. Now, he doesn't say that in every episode because if you say that all the time, people would think, you know, yeah. rightfully that you're a goddamn nut job. Excuse yeah. my language. Yeah, right? no, I didn't we know. Swear, can I? Can I can we can swear on this show. Yes, oh. we're labeled explicit under iTunes. Fuck so yes. Yeah, right, there you go. Um, Glad I got that out of the way. Damn right. But... Now looking at this new Trier thing, mm. have you been able to figure out what the end game is to the hurting of public education? Is it to control more political power? Is it to dumb down people? Because that, that's my problem with this. Is I, I'm trying to figure out right. what a Dan Proft, act, other than his monetary gains right. for being the, the, the guy in the middle, Absolutely. what is his end game? Yeah, well, you know, it's that's the million-dollar question, right? And I think it's the million-dollar answer, too, right? It usually comes down to money, and I think this is, uh, you know, no exception. You know, you follow the money. And, and the interesting thing in this – now, I, I should say – all of this is speculative, and whatever I talk about with you here today uh, on the advice of legal counsel, we should keep separate from any contentions in the film. This is just two guys right. chatting, and these are my opinions. But um, what I think is there's always people that have a very passionate belief about the the cause and the ideology that they're fighting for. And I think the conservatives like to call those people useful idiots, right? We hear mm-hmm. that a lot. And then there are the people that are behind them, and they have their agenda, and that usually involves money and power, Right. So what I see is I see with someone like Dan Prof. So he's got a ten million dollar war chest. Right. He can you know he's a basically a paid shill to get on the radio and spout his you know venom. And you know really a lot of his stuff is just kind of like bile. I mean he really is you know nasty. Uh, he's smart and he can be funny, but he's he's not a very uh, pleasant uh, guy. Uh, so what he does though is he. Um, is involved in two different companies. And this goes into, you know, probably wonky stuff. I don't know how much your listeners care about it, but with the Citizens United stuff, the campaign financing. If you remember the Colbert, you know, yeah. rapport when they made the pack and all. So there are 501c3s and 501c4s, right? A 501c3 is a, 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 a nonprofit uh, charitable organization, quote unquote, that is allowed to uh, raise unlimited, uh, unreported money or dark money. Um, and they can talk about policy until they're blue in the face, but they can't campaign, right? So they can just, you know, set this up and say, we're all about education and this kind of stuff. So then there's the uh, 501c4s, which uh, are unlimited dark money. They're allowed to campaign and represent um, campaigns and, and uh, candidates in a, in a kind of a general sense, but um, but they can't write off that money. Right, and they also have to do that. That's the 501c4s are the ones that have the magic word policy, right? Like you can't say vote for, you can't say... 
Yeah. Right? It's like there's like a series of words that you can't, you cannot specifically say in the issue ads, vote for Donald Trump. You have to, you can say Hillary Clinton is bad for America, Donald yeah. Trump is good for America, but you can't say blatantly go vote, I think is the one. Yeah, that in- sounds right. You know, that could be the 501c3 too. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is when you look at this, it's like they're not even really pretending to have separation. And this is everywhere, not right. just, you know, Dan and his organization. But, you know, in Dan's case, he's part of a group called the Illinois Opportunity Project, which is a 501c3. I, you kind of love these freaking names. Oh, I know. Well, and he's also the Illinois Policy Institute, right? So the Policy Institute is a 501c3. The uh, um, Opportunity Project is a 501c4. Uh, apparently, according to the research I did online, they were in the same office space for a couple of years, right? They have all kinds of overlap. Dan's, you know, a senior fellow or a principal in both of them. Uh, both of them, I believe, are owned by a guy named John Tillman. I don't know if you've talked about John. No. He's the CEO, and I think he's a big buddy of Rauner's. You should check him out, because you okay. can do at least a couple episodes on Mr. <laughs> Tillman. I don't mention him in the documentary, because no, I just we're don't we're going to be time. getting into Bruce Rauner coming up after these local elections. We're really going to be getting into Bruce Rauner and the upcoming race, because uh, I do find the upcoming gubernatorial election here in Illinois to be truly fascinating. And yeah. and I'm worried about it too, but that's... Yeah, that's it's a, a whole other that, thing. Yeah. Well, and, and so just to, I know I'm kind of going off here, but no, I'll fine. bring it back into what we were talking about, which it's is that good. the uh, the reason that I think um, this is all important is because uh, Nutrier, uh, they have several things that they can do, right? One thing is what you're talking about, the ideology, right? They want to break down what they call leftist indoctrination, right? Which is like, you know, again, not to keep quoting Paul Bear, but he said, you know, um, truth, the, you know, the truth has a well-known liberal bias, or facts have a well-known liberal yeah, bias. Yeah, I've been arguing that with, before you go on, I've been arguing that with a lot of people lately because I get into this idea. I have a very good friend. I was the best man at his wedding. He's one of uh-huh. my best friends in the world, but he will constantly go off about, you know, the liberal media. He's one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. And I said, look, man, there's no such thing as a liberal media bias. What you're talking about is there's a bias towards the truth. Yeah. And right. what, the reason it says, you know, 18 papers all agree is because that's the truth. Right. And, and, and you, and you, the people who manipulate it back the other way and go, well, look at this bias. They all say the same thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's right. like, right, but they're telling you what's actually happening. And at the end of the day, when you talk about fake news, there is no such thing as fake news in the sense of, look, things happen. Right. Who, what, where, when. It's the why that's the fake news. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just No, no, no. I think that's a good point. But you know, that whole thing is the why. You know, you can look at this of the last 40 years in this country of, you know, when we talk about climate change and we talk about, you know, evolution and natural selection and all these things that the, you know, uh, conservative evangelical right have fought against and and we've dumbed down to the point that we've made that a controversy. We've made it a controversy as to whether we're polluting the planet. And you see this legislation. We made a controversy as to whether the earth is really, you know, uh, billions of years old or 6,000 years old. I mean, it's, it's insane. And when then, then they get, so the other thing is not just, look, they're all saying the same thing, is then they say, teach the controversy, right? Which is, to me, the genius of conservative thought these days is the idea of the false equivalency, right? right? That they'll say, well, you did this, and so we did this. And it's basically, I know you are, but what am I? Yes, but that exactly. they do it, and they control every you know minute of the news cycle, and they just spin from one thing to the other. So the goal in all of this, again, I think, is if they can undermine public education, um, they can get a foothold into what they think is this bastion of liberal indoctrination, which is the classical liberal arts education where people are taught to think critically, right? So, go ahead. No, 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 as I was going to say, so that, you know, and and of course that's very speculative on my part, but when you look at this weird thing, there's players like the Illinois Family Institute, like is this kind of um, SPLC-labeled hate group uh, that started this controversy off. SPLC stands for Southern Poverty Law Center, just for 
people know. Absolutely. And they're like very anti-gay and kind of pro-Christian and they want to put all this into the public schools. So they have that bias to go in there, right? Then you've got people like here in Wilmette as a group of ladies that are called the Policy Circle. And they're, they started in Sylvie Ricketts living room. You know, they've, they've got a, the, one of the most fancy websites I've ever seen. Um, and they talk about policy. So I think they believe that. But largely what they want is, you know, free market solutions, which I think means we don't want to pay taxes. So they fought the referendum, you know, against Gilson Beach a couple years ago. They don't want this. And so basically, if they can, you know, change the curriculum in public schools, these people that have these kind of ideological things are delighted with that, right? So I think in that sense, if they can give New Trier Township and New Trier High School a black eye, you know, this is one of these ones that, you know, everyone around here either loves New Trier if you live in New Trier Township or loves to hate New Trier. And it's, you know, it's, it's, but it's fine it, because it's, you know, it's been around forever. It was in life as one of the best schools in the country in like the 50s. And it's, you know, it's, it's wealthy and, and white bread and, you know, um, it's easy to make fun of. Well, it, there's that, but there's also the factor of, look, I, I've always said I went to Columbus South, you know, and there's always the high school rivalry crap. But yeah. realistically, at the end of the day, I've never had anything but respect for nature. Most of the high schools in this area are, are the best oh, schools. Oh, they're kick-ass, yeah. Yeah, I mean, going as far, you know, you go from Niles basically north up until the border. You're dealing with, you know, high-quality, you know, secondary, not secondary, but high-quality education systems for everybody. And then... This whole thing starts. I, I always tell people the best example is if you want to know about the difference in what happens when conservatives start to take over local government, mm-hmm. grab a textbook if you've got one from a kid who went to school in the 90s or the 80s and grab one from now and look at just the Vietnam unit. And it's, it's fascinating. Oh, wow. my, my cousin came home once. Uh, he's about 15 years younger than me. And he had his books with him because he came into the house. And I was like, hey, let me see your history book because he had been talking about they were, they were in the Vietnam unit. Now, when I went to high school, Vietnam was a, in the 60s, was a three-week thing. Like, we started in 1960 with the, you know, with the election. When did you graduate from high school? 2001. Okay. But we we started with uh, Kennedy and, you know, the 60s and getting into that, and then the Camelot, the Great Society, going Mm. into Vietnam, you know, all the controversies of that, MLK, RFK, Mm. you know, all the assassinations. But it was three weeks. Nixon, Cambodia. Yeah, the whole deal. And you study everything basically up until 75 as kind of this cohesive moment in American history. They spent two days on it. One day on the civil rights movement, one day on Vietnam, and then they moved on to modern American history where they talk about the war on terror. And to a lot of people that go, you say that they go, okay, yeah, but who cares? But the difference in, I I tell people this all the time, and I'm curious what you think. Um, The X-Files is to Mm -hmm. me one of the greatest examples of where America was at before Mm 9-11. And you can watch that show, and and I think it's season six or seven is when when 9-11 happens. That show is about a healthy distrust of government. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you watch The X-Files, that's what it's about. It's about don't trust the government. They're going to lie to you. And that is definitely an outgrowth of Vietnam and Watergate. And a a guy who was, Chris Carter, the guy who created The X-Files, I think was probably like 17 when all that went down. Now it's 20 years later, and he's able to tell versions of that and that was the culture that he was raised in right well and reagan of course you know yeah uh, you know i'm from the government and i'm here to help you is you know like that became this like rallying cry for the conservatives in the 80s of like yeah the government's terrible don't trust them right exactly but you get into 9-11 and not not without merit as you say right exactly but then you get into 9-11 and that coin flipped and suddenly it became no the government needs to to save us at least on all of these military issues Mm. and by changing what a kid learns about Vietnam, he doesn't necessarily or she doesn't necessarily learn how to question government. Because right. the most important thing to learn about Vietnam is right. not the war itself or the mistakes on the battlefield. It is 
how public perception can right. win or lose a war in a country right. and how important it is to protest and to get out there and voice. And if you minimize that impact right. to kids, they're not going to know that if they really wanted to, they can change the world right. by getting together and fighting for something. And that's the part that I find scary. So when I hear that a group like you know, the, the one that Dan Prof is representing or, um, I'm sorry, what was the, the Ricketts or women's The or? policy circle, yeah, the gals oh, here in Wilmette. Okay. Or in, yeah, in Wilmette mostly. They are teaching you to almost be, I don't want to use sheep because that's just, it's, it's too common, but it's, it's that idea that they can, they can change the way your brain basically functions yeah, right. and, and how to criticize stuff. Right. Well, and if you're, and if, I think that's a good point. And if you're, you know, um, you know, operating under the premise of, you know, Grover Norquist, for instance, who, you know, came out of the Reagan years and has run around forever, that, you know, government should be small enough to drown in a bathtub. Well, then, of course, you know, there's not a lot of room for nuance of thought in right. that idea. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that I think everybody does, and certainly, you know, progressives are just as bad as conservatives on this, and there's been a lot of data to support it, is that, um, you know, we think emotionally. You know, a lot of us like to think we're analytical. And the thing that always cracks me up, too, is people that say, well, I'm really a moderate. And it's like, eh, no, you're not. You're just, you know, not paying attention to this particular thing. Or, because, you're, or you know you live in a liberal area and you don't want to admit what you are. Yeah, that, there's also that. But, like, I think that all of us are driven, by and large, as human animals by these emotional currents that we don't necessarily know are going on inside of us, depending on how blocked you are or whatever. This is getting a little deep there. But that what we then do is we're like lawyers, so we look for the facts that will then litigate our emotional feelings. So if I'm, you know, they have you seen these studies where they're like saying like conservatives have uh, scientifically uh, more of a of a, um, a, a kind of a, a horror uh, recoil reaction to like uh, gross pictures or like squeamish things like that. Like kind of there's a biological difference in terms of the way we look at the world. So I think all of that undergirds this. But again. The individuals, you know, people can have those opinions, right? You know, it's all murky and it's all hard. And I think there is a lot of stuff about the government that's not great. But the thing that I come back to and I think um, is important with this issue is, you know, we've lost sight of the fact that we are the government. The yes. government is us. And the reason that the American experiment happened and worked is because we took the power as people to be the government. So when we abdicate that and say, oh, that's terrible, the government's horrible, we don't want to get rid of that, let's go for free markets, what we're basically saying is, hey, all of you rich uh, industrialists and robber barons and you know um, oligarchs, you go ahead and take care of things because we trust you because we know free markets will out. You know? And it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's completely unprovable and it's completely based in emotion. But you look at Nutria and you look at what's happening in Nutria Township with this election, and you have like, you know, again, Christian uh, conservatives, you have, uh, you know, uh, free market, you know, um, anti-tax conservatives, and they all come together uh, with, I think, you know, somewhat of a purity of heart because they believe in these things and they say, this is what we want to do to affect change. But then what do you have behind it? And what you have behind it is the Illinois Opportunity Project and the Illinois Policy Institute. Now, in the Illinois Opportunity Project, where Dan is a partner, you know, they have been involved. And one of the things we discovered is that they have been doing candidate training for this local Little League municipal election. They have been working in collusion, I guess I can say that word, that's my opinion, with the Nutria Republican organization. So like, you know, you're talking about the Nutria Dems here, and it's going to be so easy because, again, false equivalency, right? He said, she said, oh, they're Dems, they're on there talking about this. Well, first of all, 
I am a progressive and I'm a Democrat. I'm not a neutral Dem. I've never been part of this organization, although I think they might make me an honorary mascot this month. It's been, it's no, been going no, pretty your well. Your name comes up at those meetings like you would not believe. Well, lately, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm on the radar now because it's, uh, because it's, it, it, it's important stuff, but I'm not, par- I'm not part of that officially. I probably will join it now, quite frankly, <laughs> because I, I have a lot of, uh, you know, that's what more my political leaning is. But I was just someone who got involved in this and uh, started telling this story. But now the Democrats, they're, the reason they have to be so injected is because they're playing defense. Like, if you look at it, this has historically been nonpartisan, right? The economy slate that's running has a Republican on it. This is the way that it's run forever. So now the Democrats have to join this fight because you've got, you know, Danielle Mergner and Mark Levine and the, the, the chair people of the new chair pubs, not just members that are driving this uh, effort with uh, Dan Prof's Opportunity Project to train our candidates and inject this national ideology into a municipal township. So now the Dems have to fight back. But I think what they want to do is... My personal opinion, once again, is they want to dissolve the township. You know, Kathy, Bob, and Stacy. Kathy ran against Laura Fine a couple years ago. You've probably talked about her before. Very, very conservative. And she talked at the time about dismantling townships. That's part of the discussion. I'm sure you hear, you, you know a lot about townships. Obviously, you hear that discussion a lot, too. Yeah, but I, I wanted to ask you about this. When somebody says that they want to dissolve the township, do you... Is it? Do you think it's literally just so they don't have to pay township taxes? Do you believe that that's the main motivating factor? Or do you think that ideologically they believe that the township government shouldn't be there? Because my other question yeah. is, if they dissolve the township, how does the school get its money for... You know, running is that they, they also want to shut down the public education system well, with that. Right. Well, here's an interesting point, um, and I didn't know about any of this shit before I started looking at it. I didn't even know about Nutria Township. I'd never heard of any of the players in any of this other than I'd heard of the policy circle and, of course, some of the conservative groups um, and the Dems. Uh, but what I think is I think it's a mix of all of that, which is what makes it so tricky. I think there's pure ideology that's driven by individual you know, um, and well-intentioned mindsets. There's political, we don't want to pay taxes, kind of you know, selfish knee-jerk. I'm paying too much money, even though that the Nutrier property bill, the, the township bill is 1% of our property taxes. So it's not insignificant, but it ain't much, and it ain't growing all that much. But the uh, the real interesting thing is Nutrier High School runs completely separately, and I didn't know this. Nutrier Township is a separate entity from the high school, and even though it incorporates all of the high, the, the feeder communities, as you said at the top of the uh, podcast, um, it's separate. And what it does primarily is it does about $2.5 million uh, in an annual budget that's mostly social service. So it's mostly, believe it or not, there are hungry folks in Nutria Township, and there are about 60 families that get um, regular food pantry and, and support. They get grants. They do, uh, they do um, endowments for the mentally uh, ill. They do um, uh, grants for disabled people. They do a lot of social services, you know, Is intervention. Kind of thing they would pay for, like, the senior citizen transport. You know, I don't know all of the particulars. I don't think it's that. I think it's more like grants and scholarships okay. again the, the for, for therapy. The only reason I'm asking is there's a lot of towns that do that too, where they yeah. offer like free rides for seniors. Well, there's all kinds of great things that towns do. I don't, I don't know about that with a township. The things I just kind of enumerated, I, I know that they do. And I, again, I don't know a lot of the details, but. What they're saying on this uh, Kathy, Bob, and Stacy slate is, oh, well, we're just going to get rid of that because it's top-heavy, and then we're going to do that somewhere else, right? And they say, this is they have a 35% overhead in the township, and any charity that's over 10% would get an F rating and blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, a township isn't a charity, right? It's not the same thing. So it's apples to oranges. Secondly, even if you just want to look at the social services, I think that in those that 35% includes like social workers that they hire or they hire on a contractual basis. I think that that's in there. And I know there's like they had to put a roof on the building this year 
year. So there's also these one-off capital expenses that they're lumping in and categorizing as if they're operating, you know, annual operating expenses, which I think is false. But they say they want to get rid of it and do it more efficiently. Now they're saying they don't want to dissolve the township. But but if they did dissolve the township, I mean, it's not, let's use common sense, right? Do we really think if Nutria Township went away and this $2.5 million budget for social services went away, that these same people, Kathy, Bob, Stacy, Policy Circle, and all of their ilk would suddenly say, all right, let's create an endowment and, a, and an organization to run this in Wilmette where we can do direct services for the people that need it. Let's do that in Glencoe. Let's do that in Kenworth. I mean, not only uh, would it be more expensive and more unwieldy, but it's kind of against their very core philosophical principle, right? Not to mention it gives them the permission to say no to people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that to me is the is, is the biggest part of this is that it gives them the opportunity to blatantly just say no. Right. And and that's the part and to, to discriminate against the people to do it because let's face it, you get. This is now my experience. I, I grew up in Glenview, uh, basically on the border of Morton Grove, and so I've got this weird experience dealing with the ultra rich conservative people that have grown up around my life, and I and mm-hmm. I just. I do not believe that in a scenario of well, there's a young, uh, a young poor Latino family that mm. lives in Winnetka. I don't really think we need there. I mean, like yeah, we could give them the social services, but yeah, we could yeah. also kind of encourage them to move to Morton Grove. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. Well, there's, we've had a huge fight. I live you know three blocks away from the uh, American Legion Hall in uh, Wilmette on at 1925 Wilmette Avenue, and they're talking about making that into uh, an affordable housing thing and not using any local government money. They're going to get federal tax write-offs to finance it and build it and make like 20 units or, or 16 units now that could either be for poor people, probably poor people of color potentially, or people that are disabled. And the outcry is terrible. And you know they're saying it's for all these other things, but what they're doing is they're vilifying the developer, which is a not-for-profit, you know, and saying that it's all government stuff. So again, it's like corporations good. You know, we've got this huge monstrosity that is outside the the library here that you saw this this development on Green Bay Road. Yeah. Guess what? They didn't do any affordable housing in that. They got a special waiver to not do affordable housing in that. You know, so like it, it's that kind of stuff. But but the million dollar question, and I know it's taking me forever to get there, is the million dollar question, which is who's going to profit off this, right? Because we've got all the outside people and the local people. But how does Proft and his ilk? You know, make their money. money. Where do they get in there? So the Illinois Opportunity Project is the campaigning group that's allowed to do that, the 501c4, and they are neck deep in this election. And they're saying, we haven't donated any money other than hours of time on Prof Show and training and everything. So like that's... The the $10 billion free advertising for Trump. Yeah, right. That's ridiculous on its face. But then you have the Illinois Policy Institute, which is the 501c3 that he's involved with, which is the policy group that, you know, this group of ladies, the Policy Circle, uses one of their key feeders for their content that they study and digest and their learning as they call them. Um, they have a guy named Ted Dabrowski, who's an East Wilmette guy here, and I do mention this in the movie, so spoiler alert, who is a spokesperson for the Illinois Policy Institute, right? Uh, there's also a guy, Eric Cohn, that works there. I think he's a marketing manager for the Illinois Policy Institute. Well, guess what? These two guys also worked for another nonprofit about three or four years ago called Virtual Learning Solutions, I think, VLS. And they happened to have a bid that they were putting forth to the Fox River Valley School District to do virtual schools. Now, have you heard about virtual schools? I have, yes. So this is for people that are you know, either in terrible schools or troubled kids that get kicked out of school. And basically the idea is they can sit at home and watch school on their computer and do just as well, right? And they um, basically put together this nonprofit. It was going to be 16 million bucks that they got over the course of 
uh, the contract, right, for these schools. And I think Rom's and like Rom and and and, uh, and Rauner are like, you know, they got this bromance that's documented online, and they're both, you know, charter school guys. This is the only solution the parents of Nutria put forward, by the way, that was real was school choice. And if you listen to Prof, they're like school choice. We want more choice. We want vouchers. We want school choice. We want this. So I'm not saying that Dabrowski or Cohn were making any money on VLS. It was a nonprofit. My hunch is they were compensated for their time, right? But they went out and they have, I actually have it in the movie, some slides from it, and you can find it online, the PDF that they used to pitch to Fox River Valley of all the great things they were doing. They were going to sub these, uh, subcontract this uh, virtual um, learning to a group called K-12 Inc. And this is where the national controversy comes in, right? Because this is a group that was funded and started. It's a private, for-profit education company, mostly virtual, I think. And it was funded and started by Michael Milken, who you might remember, the junk bond king who served time for securities fraud. Um, and uh, Betsy DeVos and her husband were early investors, and they are doing this for-profit thing. Now, the policy circle, this group of ladies in Wilmette, has an article linked on their site where they say, the education market is now a $780 billion annual market. Right, so there's people that have these feelings about oh, too much politics or too much, not enough Jesus or whatever it is in the schools. But behind it, there's people that are saying we got a multi-billion-dollar industry here and we got to get in on that. This is when you start getting into the conversation that it, it happens at the national level, you know, at the Paul Ryan level, it happens at the local level. Privatization of government, mm -hmm. and and this is the danger of it because once you turn the best example of if people want to know why you should fight against privatization of anything, look at the healthcare industry. Right, the healthcare industry up until. You're older than I am, so you'll be able to tell me. But it feels like when I look Thanks at history, well, but it feels like when I look at history that the medical costs and medical bills um, were medical advancement is a better way to put it. Yeah. That every every time there was a major medical advancement, that up until about 1970, everyone had access to it. Like if a polio vaccine came out, right. everybody got it. If a new treatment for cancer came out, everybody had access to it. It was only after they started making big money in healthcare right. that you started to notice that some people couldn't get the right kinds of treatment because there wasn't a profit margin available. Right. Privatization of, of social services. Healthcare is a social service. You are then pri uh, going after the desperate and, and using them to profit. And that's the stuff where you right. go, you're a Christian conservative. And they go, yes, I am. You go, where? In right. all of your teachings of Jesus, because I was raised Irish Catholic. I went to OPH in Glenview up until Oh, you and me both. Okay. Did you have Sister Paul Ann? No, I wasn't raised there. I was just Irish Catholic. I was okay. in Indiana. All right. So she, everything I ever learned about Jesus and religion, and I am not a religious man now, but uh -huh. everything I ever learned, most of the Republican platform stands in opposition to what I understood the teachings of Christ to be. Yeah, it's crazy. And I actually am, after you know, kind of many years wandering in the desert, a religious man again. I was raised Catholic and was atheist for a long time, and that's a whole other story. I do have faith, I do, and I am Christian, but I feel like, boy, we've turned Jesus into this, you know, NASCAR-loving, you know, uh, rifle-toting, you know, skull-chewing, you know... Um, Constitution-writing. Constitution-writing, yeah, you know, flag-draped, you know... Um, mascot for America, and um, it's crazy. You know, I mean, the, one of the first things, right, is no false, uh, you know, icons. I think, you know, anyway, that's a whole other story. But well, but I think, you, I mean, this is what I was talking about the other night when I did, and it was funny because, I, you know, we couldn't show this. One thing I wanted to clarify about what you said earlier, um, we were not legally prohibited ever from showing this film. This was just a, an attorney that sent us this letter as a broadside, and I think it was a, a threat and intimidation. It was pretty clear. But I had been trying to make a feature film in a month, which is insane, and was editing all the time to get there. So literally, I had been up 
all night, which I don't do all nighters really, but I'd pulled an all nighter the day of the premiere and I woke up and I was getting ready to do this and I'd had this letter. And I realized, you know, I'm exhausted, I'm emotionally invested, and I haven't had a chance to let anyone on the planet other than me see this movie because there hasn't been time. So I felt like, all right, I just can't risk it. They're threatening lawsuits. You know, they could, I mean, Dan Proft and those guys, they could still, they could bankrupt me for fun. You know what I mean? That that could just be a lark for them. They wouldn't even notice it. They just say, hey, go put this guy, you know, out of uh, his house and his, his, you know. So that could happen. Um, but but anyway, I was talking – so I did this like 80-minute rambling monologue, not unlike the one I, I'm doing now, but at least I've had coffee and sleep today. And, uh, and, and one of the things I came back to is what you're talking about, which is this whole privatization and, you know, I mean, let's just look at what we're saying. If we want to say, you know, free markets and all this and we were all for this and, and a free market will correct itself, there are a couple of real basic things we can look at to see that. First of all, as you were talking about, you know, the 60s and, and leading into, you know, Vietnam and through Vietnam – what we had in the late 50s was a conservative president, Eisenhower, right? In the boom of the 50s, the freeways were built. Everything was great. So those were all socialized programs, right? Socialized for private industry. The big three got to build the cars, and we as the taxpayers built the roads, and it grew our economy like crazy, right? The top effective income tax rate uh, under Eisenhower was like 90%. It was, yes. 90%, and they had all this. So he warned, as a conservative military man, mind you, of the growing Military-industrial yeah, complex. Let, let me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it is very. It's amongst uh, uh, to you young people, the expression would be woke as fuck. Um, to those who are woke, there's a speech that was given by Dwight D. Eisenhower. I believe it was his last night in office, if I remember correctly. That, that sounds right. Yeah, it was, uh, was his last night in office, the night before the inauguration, and he gave a speech where he basically laid out: we have created an industry. That sole purpose seems to be to keep us in perpetual war. Now, he doesn't say that exactly, but he warns about the idea of defense contractors having too much money. So, right. if you want to know what we're talking about, look up the Dwight D. Eisenhower military industrial speech. It will blow your mind to hear a president speak this way. Right, or just think about it for a second and realize that over half of our budget that's on the books, not even the black budget, is for military spending and defense spending, right? Donald Trump is talking about, let's more get, get more defense spending. So how does that work exactly? Well, there's probably a lot of different components that I'm not going to mention, but a couple of the larger components are our tax dollars, government funds going to private organizations, right? Your McDonnell Douglases, your, you know, anyone that's building the war machine. There's all kinds, Halliburton, you know, there's tons and tons of private companies making huge profits off tax dollars. So like, how is that different, right? Why is that not socialism? Why is, you know, that's the free market at or work? Or redistribution of wealth. Or redistribution of wealth. These are, these are no-bid contracts frequently, right? I mean, with very little oversight and all of that. So we had that happen. Then we had another thing. Have you seen this documentary 13th? Or have you heard about this? Yeah, I watched, it on, I watched it on Netflix. Oh my God, did it make you just enraged? Well, it... it... It's like heartbreaking. It, it, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's one of those documentaries that you get through at the end of it and you go, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to watch Seinfeld now because I need to cheer the fuck up. Right. Well, right. And, you know, 13th. And you know what? That's something, you know, I have a podcast called Race Bait where we talk about racism so you don't have to. And one of the things that my co-host, uh, Tanya Richard, and I talk about all the time is, you know, as a white man, you and I both have that luxury. I can watch that and go, oh, shit, I'm going to turn on Seinfeld. Yeah. Anybody else that watches that, it's like, well, I want to drive to the store and get a pizza. Oh, wait, I'm going to drive my BMW and I'm black. I guess I better be careful yeah. that I don't get pulled over, right? So anyway, the, the base the only reason I bring that up is because we move from the military-industrial complex, and I think what that makes the case for very effectively is the prison-industrial complex, right? Yes. Where you've got private prisons yes. where they're stacking beds, and you know, like you said about healthcare, if you are a corporation, you're not immoral, but you are by definition amoral, right? Because you exist for profit. That's why you're there. And the only way to increase profits is either to cut costs 
or limit services, right, at a certain point. So if you're beholden to shareholders, you need to do that. But with the prison industrial complex, there's also the other truly insidious factor in it, which is because of Citizens United, the companies that own, the, that, that do the contracting for the private prison, is, for the, the prison industrial complex, can lobby Congress to change laws right. to keep people either in jail longer or make it easier to put people in jail. Right. They've also brought back debtors' prisons. Mm-hmm. You know, it's unofficial. It's not actually a debtors' prison, but if you get served with a court order and you don't have the ability to pay it, they can arrest you and put you in jail until you have the ability to pay it. Well, what? The, what's right. the logic in that? How am I going to generate thing? And then you become basically an indentured servant Absolutely. to a company that is now selling your goods because they still have prison factories. Right. And they get to profit off of that, and you make five cents an hour. Absolutely, you know yeah. it's 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 insane. Well, that it's, yeah, sorry, it's not, even, go ahead, go ahead. it's not even indentured servitude. It's it's they're also the the, the the thesis of that documentary, I believe, is that slavery never went away. Mm-hmm. That because of the way the Thirteenth Amendment was written, that you couldn't do this kind of indentured labor or whatever for anybody unless it was as punishment for a crime. They were able to segue right into um, you know these um, kind of outsized and disproportionate um, you know sentencing and 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 you know imprisonment of people of color, right? I mean, yeah. that's what's so crazy is that people, and then, and then, because we're, you know, facts lie and liars figure, you get people that say, well, you know what? Why are, if, if, if black people are not more criminal, then why are the prisons 80% black? Why are death row, you know, 90%, 5% black, you know? And it's I like, a, go figure, you know, take a guess. Uh, two things, and then we got to get close. I know you got to okay. get going soon, yeah. but... Uh, I fight with people a lot, especially I have a roommate of mine. He's a really good friend of mine. We fight about this all the time because he's one of these people who goes, well, if you don't break the law, you've got nothing to worry about. I said, yeah, but mm-hmm. what if the law changes while you're doing stuff? And I'll give a great example. Uh, my, I grew up in the 2000s, and I went to college in the 2000s, and I will straight up tell you that uh, I loved smoking weed. I loved it. <laughs> it, it, it. It was my favorite thing to do when I was in college. It was my... It was great. Yeah, I might have I might have smoked weed once. Or but twice. here's the thing: I also could always smoke weed with impunity because I'm a white boy from the suburbs. Right. So yes, if I got right. pulled over, even if I got arrested, right. I wasn't going to 26 and Cali for a gram of weed. Right. I tell people this all the time: two people are driving through. Let's pick a relatively diverse suburb right here. Let's say Skokie. Skokie's pretty diverse. Niles is pretty diverse. You're right. closer you get to the city. Right. You know, let's go Evanston. Evanston's perfect. Two guys are driving through Evanston in identical cars. One is white, one is black. Both are pulled over. Both have a gram of weed. Weed is decriminalized in Illinois, but you can still be arrested for it at the cop's discretion. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. of those two are going to get arrested? Yeah, right. And, and, and if you question that at all, right. you're nuts. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, you know, an African American guy getting pulled over in the city of Chicago versus a white guy getting pulled over to a white guy it's an inconvenience to a right. black guy it's a life or death situation. They're terrified, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually grew up in Indianapolis and I went to a, 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 a inner city high school that was you know predominantly black. And you know my friends went to IU, which was an hour away. And when we would go down there to visit the IU campus, it was like party time for those of us you know who are white kids. It'd be roll down the windows, you know, light up a fatty. We're gonna drive down for the weekend. We got the Led Zeppelin cranking. Yeah. We're hanging out. You drive through a place called Martinsville to get there, and that was the, the official headquarters of the KK. KK for a number of years. My black friends, when they would go to college, their parents would save up to get them the best used car they could possibly get them, and they would say, check the tires, check the oil, check the gas, drive straight there, hands at 10 and 12, do not stop, and you call me the second you get to school, right? This was before cell phones. So, like, that's the whole thing. And in the seminar day thing, they were fighting... The, the idea of systemic racism, right? So like yeah. all the things you said are right. I would also add, hey, if you're on the North Shore and say you're, you're an 18-year-old kid and you get caught smoking weed at Gilson or you get caught doing heroin because that happens here in New Trier Township just like everywhere else, 
What do you think is going to happen? First of all, the cops aren't looking for you. If they catch you and they get you, you're going to be lawyered up and represented and presented, and you're going to, and your parents are going to be treated with deference, and the, the cops are going to be careful, and the lawyers are going to be careful. If you're down, you know, the anywhere. Also, the judge is going to be from your area. Right. And chances are he's going to be more lenient with you because you come from a nice area. Yeah, right, right. Good home, right? We right. see all that in the news happening all the time. Affluenza. If you live Aff, yeah, Affluenza. If you live in uh, on Dodge in Evanston, well, maybe not that, but say you live on the projects on the south side with the old Robert Taylor or whatever the equivalent is these days, you know, down on the southwest side of the city, you probably have cops in maybe militarized vehicles sitting on the corner looking for this all the time anyway. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, they're there in your neighborhood looking for this to happen and you will just be chewed up and spit out and sent, like you said, down to 26th and Cali or I think it's 25th and or whatever, right away, you know. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I know we got to wrap up, but I think I can just finish this because you saw where I was going, right? Prison industrial com or military industrial complex, prison industrial complex, and now what are we looking at? Education, education industrial complex. You got it, and it's a seven hundred eighty billion dollar market a year. And if they can break it up, then everybody's happy. They get rid of science. They get they can get Jesus back in because it can be homeschools, can be charter schools, can be all of this. Yeah. They get the leftist ideology out of the way, and the people behind the scenes that have all the money and write all the legislation and have all the power. Guess what? They get richer. And you know what? Who's going to suffer in this? It's going to be poor people and largely poor people of color. And that's the thing that's so damn cynical. Who, once again, will be the ones to suffer. Before you get out of here, though, before we end this thing, uh, you got served with a cease and desist order. What's going on with that? How much can you speak about with uh, the legal ramifications of what's going on from now? Yeah, well, thankfully, the uh, cease and desist, like I said, was uh, mainly a threat. There's no injunction on the film or anything like that. We did take a week. We took it very seriously. I don't want to defame anybody. I'm not out to piss off neighbors unduly, but this is such an important thing. I have a great um, uh, ace uh, uh, defamation lawyer now that I found, and he has uh, looked it over. He's told me I'm good. He wrote a response to them. We're premiering it this Sunday at the Wilmette Theater, 7 and 9. So, uh, and, right. and tickets are free. So if you're anywhere in the area of the North Shore and you want to come check it out, you're welcome. All right. Uh, thank you, Paul Trainer, for coming and sitting down here on Outfront on the Chicago Podcast Network. This has been Nick Sarandos, Editor-in-Chief. Uh, next week, we'll be back with AJ Signeri talking about some of the stuff. I might be having a special WrestleMania preview show coming up for you guys <laughs> uh, Friday, depending on if I can get my uh, wrestling buddy to get in uh, on that show. Other than that, you can find us on Twitter, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. And you can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. The expression that I'm looking for right now is, of course, oh, yes, we out! It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network.